studying in this class, and I want you to look at some things in your Bible. So turn to Psalm 148. We're in Psalm 148. So we're going through a series called Hallelujah, Called to Praise. And we're moving through what is called the five doxological Hallel, the doxological Hallel, the, the Psalms that begin and end. Each Psalm begins and end with praise Yah, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise Yahweh. And we're made our way to Psalm 148. And here's what I want you to get. If you don't get anything else, Psalm 148 emphasizes the center, the center of every hallelujah in heaven and on earth. That's what I want you to see. It emphasizes the center. So if you bring that next slide. There you go. Reveals the center of every hallelujah. And that's why this psalm is the center. It reveals the center of our praise. But not only that, it's the center in a couple other ways. So let's look at that. First of all, Psalm 148 is the center of the doxological Hallel, doxological, is simply glory, a word of glory. Doxa is glory, logical, doxological, the glory, Hallel. And here's why I say it's a center. It's in the form of what is called, among Bible students, is a chiasm. And a chiasm speaks of the Greek letter X, okay? And so it comes down and then it comes out. And whatever is in the center of a chiasm is what is most emphasized. So you have Psalm 146, the choice to commit to a lifelong, uh, a, a, a wholehearted, lifelong commitment to praise the Lord. Psalm 147, we looked at the causes. Why do we praise the Lord? That's the emphasis of Psalm 147. Then you come to 148, and the emphasis is the center of our praise. Who is called to praise and who, most of all, are we called to praise? Who is called to do the praising and who are we called to praise? And then you work your way back out. We're going to look at Psalm 149 next week. It focuses on the big celebration and the ultimate end of history. And then you come to Psalm 150 and that is the consummation of all of God's purposes in heaven and earth. So you see, in a chiasm, not only is what's at the center important, but they balance each other. So we make a lifelong commitment to praise the Lord until the final consummation. And the causes to praise are going to be seen in the celebration when it's realized on heaven, on earth as it is in heaven... And at the center of all of this, we're going to find out what's at the center, okay? So, it's the center of these psalms. We're right at the center of them. Secondly, what is it that's at the center? Well, here's the second thing. Praising the name of Yahweh is the center of the created universe. That which we're going to praise is the name of Yahweh. And the way you know that is by the structure of this psalm. So, before I walk you through that, let's turn your Bibles, and or you're already there, Psalm 148, and let's read it, okay? Let's read it together. Here's the opening. Praise the Lord. 
But then it says it again. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. I think he wants the heavens to praise him. Did you get that? Seven of them, right? Let them praise, and here's the center. Let them praise the name of the Lord. And here's the two causes, or three causes. For he commanded, and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which will not pass away. Three causes. But then he comes back and he says, Praise the Lord, not just from the heavens, but from the earth. Sea monsters in all the deeps, as low as you can go on the earth. Fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged fowl. And then he comes to the image bearers, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children. But what is the center of their praise? Verse 13, let them praise what? The, the what? The name, the, the name of the Lord. And then he gives three reasons again. For his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. He's tying it all. Here's the climax. And he has lifted up a horn for his people. Praise for all his godly ones, even for the sons of Israel, a people near to him because they're dear to him. Praise the Lord. Now, what we just worked through was a parallel structure. It's divided in two parts. Commands to praise from the heavens. Praising, 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 praising seven times. Then the center of praise. Let them praise the name. And then the causes. And there's three causes. Then he comes back out to a second command. Here's the second part. Praise Yahweh. This time only one command from the earth below. But he lists 14 or 15 different beings and places and things on the earth. And then the center of the praise, though, whether you're in heaven or on earth, the center of the praise is the same, literally the same wording. And the causes are three causes. But what you end up seeing in this psalm is that the second part of verse 14 ends up being the climax, and there's something, here's a center and a cause all wrapped up in whatever the horn of Yahweh is. We'll see what that is, and then we come back out, hallelujah. So this psalm is not only part of a chiasm, but it, 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 it's telling us what is the center of praise for the created universe. So let's look at it. Praise the center of all praise. That's the idea of Psalm 148. So let's begin. First of all, the command to all the heavenly hosts, to uh, all the heavenly hosts above. The command to praise to all the heavenly hosts above. And again, in verse 1. So let's look at verse 1 in your Bibles. It begins with that hallelujah from beginning to end. All of life, that's the idea. It's at the beginning, it's at the end. All of life 
is about praising or psalming that is due his name. But listen, it's not enough for just our class, our church to really praise his name. What this is telling us is it takes all of heaven to join in. One Bible student put it this way. The loudest and longest praise cannot match his worth, work, or status. Only with the concerted voices of all his creatures can a significant attempt be made to reflect his majesty back to him. In other words, it takes all of heaven to really reflect the glory of the Lord. Now, why from heaven? Why from the heavens? Why does he start here? Well, let me give you. Praise rightly begins where Yahweh's throne rules over all. Praise rightly begins. Look at verse 1. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the highest. God reigns from his throne in heaven. So here's the idea. God is seated up in heaven. And therefore, since he reigns over heaven, how fitting it is for all that's in heaven to praise him. Now, here's the thing. Perfect praise is always going on in heaven ever since creation. So when you go to Job uh, 38, verse 7, the Lord himself says, When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So it appears that the angels were created first, and when the earth and, 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 and the heavens were created, they rejoiced. And we know from Isaiah 6 and from Revelation 4, there is perfected praise of God. So why are those who are perfectly praising God told seven times to praise Him? And that's the question. Why a sevenfold command to praise the Lord? Because notice in your Bibles, I mean, you just can't help but see it. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. Seven times. What's going on there? Well, here's the idea. Even though the angelic praise has never ceased in heaven since the day of creation, the sevenfold command announces, it announces that perfection has come and there's an even greater cause for heavenly hallelujahs. It's like, and here's my, here's my illustration that will take us through this whole psalm, okay? How many like uh, watch the Food Channel, okay? Our family used to watch the Food Channel so much that when my daughter went to preschool, she came back with a drawing, and Mom said, who is that? And, and Amber said, Mommy, that's Bobby Flay. Okay, that's when I knew maybe we were watching that a little too much, right? And so that's Bobby Flay. Okay, go for it. But Emerald Lagasse, he would season, he would create... The dish would be ready. And then what was his signature line? Bam! Bam! Add some additional seasoning, right? That's what's going on here. They are praising. What would he always say? Let's kick it up a notch. Bam! And that's what's going on. There's perfect praise. But with the sevenfold command, God is saying to his heavenly angels in all of heaven, and all created things in heaven, it's time to kick it up a notch. Perfection has come. So in other words, it's like this. Now is the perfect time to kick perfect praise up a notch 
for perfection has come. Bam! Praise Yahweh. That's the idea. Now, who is commanded to shout such heavenly hallelujahs? And by the way, aren't you glad the Ruckles are back? They're, 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 they're recovering. Let's give them a hand. Yes, good to have you back. Who is commanded to shout such heavenly hallelujahs? The angelic host, the angelic host in the heavens and the starry hosts in space. In other words, everything. Animate, angels, inanimate, planets, stars, sun, and moon. And so you have the angelic hosts that are in the highest of heavens. Here they are in the presence of God continually, surrounding the throne of God, ever praising. And yet they are said to kick it up a notch because now's the perfect time and uh, because perfection has come. We'll see that in a moment. And it's not just that. It's the starry host. And we know from Psalm 19, classic psalm, maybe one of your favorites, Psalm 19, begins with this verse. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. So every sun, moon, star, planet, universe, solar system is always declaring the glory of God. But here, it's the perfect time to kick it up a notch. And bam! Let's elevate our praise in the heavens. But there's more. It's not only the angelic hosts. It's not only the sun, moon, stars, as you see in, the, in verse 3. But also, it is everything in the heaven of heavens. Now, notice this in your Bible. It says, notice, it says, everything, praise Him, highest heavens. Okay? And when you see highest heavens, in the Hebrew, it literally is heavens of heavens. Why? Because in Hebrew, when you want to emphasize something, you repeat it. So if I wanted to emphasize this table, I would say, this is the table of tables. This is the greatest table, Denise. And you're at the greatest table because it is the table of tables. And when you really want to get excited, you would say, God is holy, holy, holy. He's thrice holy. But what's going on here is he's saying, even the highest of the highest of heavens is to praise the Lord. Now, this is significant for us in a technological age because we think we're so sophisticated and we're so advanced and are, you know, as much as I love NASA and space exploration and it's a worthy act of image bearers to explore God's creation, we're always amazed at man's ability to go. But listen, you can go as far as you can in this universe. You can go as high as you can, and you can't reach the highest of heights. And even if you did, you know what would be higher? God on his throne. That's the idea here. So if someone says, hey, I've tapped into some angelic power, big deal. I know Yahweh. Oh, I've, I look at my, my, my uh, horoscope, big deal. I know Yahweh. He made those stars. You know, I, I, I've tapped into some inner, inner celestial, you know, whoop-de-doo. I don't care. I know Yahweh. He made the, your whoop-de-doo, you know, whatever that is. So that's the idea. You go as high as you can, as far as you can, 
in the heavens and the throne of Yahweh is still higher. And verses 1 and 4 form a bookend. So you have praise him from the heavens in the heights. And then it ends with verse 4, the highest of heavens. Everything is to praise him. But what is the center of their heavenly praise? What is the center of their heavenly hallelujahs? Let them praise the fame of his name. The name of Yahweh is emphasized in this verse. Now, notice how that's worded. And that's, I've added the fame to it. Because you'll see why in a moment. Let them praise the fame of his name. Let them. Now, this is significant. Because he's been saying with commands, praise him, praise him, praise him. Those are commands. Now he's saying, let them praise him. What's the idea here? Well, it's not as strong as a command, but it's not as soft as a suggestion. Okay? It's the idea, let them. It's an indirect command. More like a strong invitation. It's kind of like a divine RSVP. Okay, in French, what does RSVP stand for? Not in French, but translate it. Do what? Yes, yes, yes. That's the shortened form. Please, respond if you please. Yes, respond if you please. But RSV means, we all know, you must respond, right? You must respond. And the best RSVPs, you want to respond. So that's the idea of this. Let them praise. It's time for you to respond. Now, basically, the idea is we're going to see that final perfection has come and the ultimate goal of creation, therefore, let them party. Let them praise. Okay? So here's how I thought about it. Here's how I illustrate it. When the Royals won the World Series, we had a parade and basically the city said, let them party. You can abandon cars on the highway. You can skip work and it won't be counted against you. School is canceled. Let them praise the royals. And it's kind of like everybody's like, well, of course. Why? Because we won the championship. Same thing when we won the Super Bowl. There's this idea across the city. We know something tremendous has happened. Let them praise I participated in both. Did you? Man, it was fun. Oh, well, okay. But, but, here's the deal. Whether you did or you didn't, you don't want to be shaking your head at this one. This is something significant has happened. And the idea is this. Let them praise. So, what's the name of Yahweh? We, we need to define that. It's not merely... His name, you know, when you say praise the name of the Lord, what we're praising is not merely his name because there's his name and this. What, it, what does name stand for? Well, it stands for this. It's his reputation based on his character as revealed in his greatness of his attributes, the goodness of his acts, and his actual very presence among us it's his reputation that's why i have fame in here his reputation based on his character as revealed in the greatness of his attributes 
the goodness of his acts. Remember, we just studied that in Psalm 147. The causes to praise in 147 was his graciousness, his goodness, and his greatness. Now, all that's wrapped up, and it's the center of our praise. But also, when you read through your Bibles, especially in the Old Testament, where the name of the Lord resides, there the presence of the Lord resides. So when Solomon creates the temple, he says, Oh Lord, let your name reside here. Well, what's he saying? All the fame of who you are, your very presence. I think that's going to be important by the time we get to the end of this song. So what are the causes of their heavenly hallelujahs? Let's keep moving down. Look at verses 5 and 6. Even though last week was all about the causes, this week is all about the center. But as we look at this next uh, slide, let's see what are the causes. The fame of his name is seen, first of all, in his spoken command to create out of nothing all of creation. Look in your Bibles. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Look at verse 5. For he has commanded... And they were created. He has commanded, and they were created. And the word for created there is the word bara, which is found in Genesis. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Bara, create out of nothing by the spoken word. In other words, the king has spoken, and it is done. All right? It is done. Secondly, his royal decree to establish order. In all of creation. He not only commanded they were created. Look at verse 6. He also established them forever and ever. So he created them. And then he ordered them and says you go here. And you stay there. And you remain here. And they stayed there. The idea is of this word establish means to stand to, to stand something in their place, and they remain standing. They remain put. And then thirdly, we see his ultimate purpose for the design of all creation will be fulfilled. Because notice, look at verse 5, or verse 6. He also established them for how long? Look in your Bibles. How long did he establish them? Forever and ever. And he made a decree. That is like a divine, royal, king's decree, which will not, what? Pass away. So, he created out of nothing. He established the order of creation. And its intended design, its intended purpose, will be accomplished no matter what. Even in spite of of a fall over all creation. Okay? The heavens stand. They stand at his word and they serve his purposes. Pretty powerful stuff. So, let's do a psalm-like meditation, Selah. Whenever you see, no one really knows what it means, but the best idea and the idea that is permeated through church history is pause and reflect. So we've covered a lot, but let's see. Let's pause and re reflect. Let's meditate on three realities. First of all, we should be coming away 
from these first six verses, we should meditate that Yahweh's effectual word does what he wills. Right? I mean, again, we don't do this in, in the city. You got to get out in the country and you got to look up and then you need to realize that was all spoken into existence. Boom. All spoken. His effectual word. And by the way, did we not see in Psalm 147 how effectual his word is? It can harden ice and it can soften ice. It can harden a heart. It can soften a heart. God's word does what he sends it and says it to do. Secondly, I want you to think about Yahweh's eternal rule as the king over all the universe. Interlaced in all of this is that there's a king on his throne who rules over all the heavens. So whatever NASA explores, the king has already been there. And he placed it there, and last week we saw he named him. He gave him names because he owns it. He controls it. Thirdly, I want you to see Yahweh's sovereign ability to guarantee his creation will fulfill his creation purposes. He says it, it stands, and it will serve his purpose. And not the devil's rebellion or man's sinfulness can hinder God's creation purposes. Yes, creation groans. Yes, the ground is cursed. Yes, angels fell and became demons. But nonetheless, God's sovereign ability to accomplish his purposes will stand. So, the first part of this cosmic choir is a heavenly chorus. But there's an earthly chorus. So, let's look at the second command. And this is the command... To all the earthly hosts below. All the earthly hosts below. So look at verse 7. The Spirit of God, through the psalmist, tells us, I'm connecting verse 1 to verse 7, because in verse 1 we praise the Lord from the heavens. Now we're praising the Lord from the earth. So, the question we must ask again, why from the earth? Well, here's the idea. If praise rightly begins in heaven, if it rightly begins, the earth is the center of all his creation purposes. So, the Lord reigns in the heavens. What more, you know, if you, basically this, here's the highest heavens... And the Lord's throne is right above it. Well, if you're that close, spatially located, that close and that much in nearness to God, you should be praising him. But all the great glory, planet, solar systems, that's not the center of God's purposes. You know what the center of God's purposes are located on? Third planet from the sun. Third planet from the sun. John Piper has some great articles talking the vastness of the heavens is meant to do two things. Exalt the greatness of God who is yet greater and to humble the pride of men to say as the psalmist does in Psalm 8, what is man that you even take notice of him? 
It's just powerful stuff. So it's the center. So here's what I want you to see. There's a link between heaven and earth in creation and redemption. He's tying them together. And what happens on earth is of interest to the angels who gaze down to see redemption accomplished. The Bible in the New Testament says angels gaze and are amazed to see the redemption of man. And 1 Corinthians 11 says angels watch in at our worship services. So you're like, oh, isn't it great to go to heaven? Well, yeah, guess what? All of heaven is looking down on earth to see what redemption is being done to save rebel humans. So there's this link. And not only that, but both in the Old and New Testament, our worship is to reflect the heavenly realities in the throne room. That's why in Revelation, at the end of time, heaven's going to come down and the reality of heaven worship is going to be here on earth as it is in heaven. But in the meantime, we're to reflect that praise as a local church. So, and let me say this. Oh, did, I, did I skip one? Yes, I did. Sorry. Why is there a single command to praise the Lord? So, I guess everything I just said goes under this. <laughs> why, is, why is there a single command to praise the Lord. The earth is also created by the same royal command. So here's the idea. There's seven commands to heaven. Praise him, praise him, praise him. But then suddenly there's only one command to the earth. Now why is that? It's for the reasons that I was just expounding. Heaven and earth are connected. It's to connect us. But there were seven commands to heaven. This would make the eighth command, and I would put forth to you, It's probably pointing us eight is the number of completion. Seven is the number of perfection. Eight is the number of full completion. And I think it's telling us that all that sevenfold praise in heaven will come and find its completion, not in heaven, but where? On the earth. On the earth. On the earth. Okay? Now, let's keep moving. What is the, uh, uh, who is commanded to praise? Okay, who is commanded to praise? All right. Who is commanded to shout such earthly hallelujahs? Well, now, instead of this sevenfold praise him, praise him, praise him, we have this 14, perhaps 15, how you divide it, kinds of earthly created things that are found in eight groups that can be reduced to four categories. And again, I think the numbers are significant. This 14, it may be 15 if you count deeps, but definitely they are in eight groups. Why is eight? Four is the number of the earth. Two times four is all the earth. Okay? And it's in four categories. Why? Again, the four corners of the earth. In other words, all that's on the earth is to praise him. All right. And it starts moving down. And if you haven't noticed, this follows the order of Genesis one and the creation of the heavens and then the creation of the earth. So we're following the story of creation. Now, notice what these groups are. You see them in verses seven through twelve. Look at verse seven. Praise the Lord from the earth. 
And then he immediately addresses who in verse 7? What's it say? Sea creatures and all the depths. So you know what he does? He just exalted us to the highest heavens, and now it's like an elevator drop. He took us all the way down to the lowest depths. And everything in between is to praise him. And the center of that praise is the fame of the name of the Lord. So he starts with that. And then he moves. So the first category is every chaotic sea creature in the lowest depths. Go as low and as deep as you possibly can. You know, the only other more freakish place to explore than outer space is the depths of the sea. And the only place on this planet that is less explored and less known of anywhere is the depths of the sea. All right? So you go there, and the commands of the eternal king are to be, the king is to be praised, and his commands are to be listened to. Here's the second category. Every climate-changing element that can threaten earthly life is to praise the Lord. Notice verse 8, fire and hell, snow and clouds or frost, stormy wind fulfilling his words. So verse 8, it's all these elements. But one element is highlighted. Which one is it? One element stands alone and stands out. Which one is it in verse 8? What? What? The stormy winds, the stormy winds. We'll come, we'll come back to that, okay? We'll, we'll look at that. Then notice every mountain range and all vegetation on earth. Mount Everest, the highest point on our planet, to every hill or, or little lump of earth, okay? And then the fruit trees that are domesticated, but also the wild cedars of Lebanon. And then you have all created beasts both wild animals and domesticated cattle. And then you have creeping things, Gwen, are to praise the Lord. You shouldn't fear them. And there are flying birds. And so all of this is every living and inanimate. So that which is alive and that which is rock and stone has been created to praise the Lord. But notice how the storm-driven wind is listed last of the elements And it is attached with these words, fulfilling his word. Here's what I want you to see. Even the wind-driven tempest obeys his command, does his bidding, and fulfills his royal purposes. Now, why? let me give you two reasons why we should pay attention. First of all, it's listed alone. Second of all, it has this attachment to it. So we should stop and pay attention. Let me give you two reasons why it's significant. And I can't explore the implications. I just want to draw your attention. This word for storm-driven tempest is the same word for the whirlwind that God revealed himself to Job. Okay, he's tying that together. And that comes in Job 38, where uh, God takes Job on a tour of the cosmic zoo. And he looks at all that he's created And he's speaking to Job, who is suffering his own storm. And he speaks out of the storm and says, Job, I'm powerful enough to handle this. Job, I'm wise enough to know what I'm doing. Quit complaining and trust me. Takes us right back into Psalm 147. 
right back to Psalm 147. Psalm 147 said, His strength is infinite and His wisdom is unsearchable. Same idea being brought here. Second reason. So think of Job 38. And in your storm, whatever you're experiencing today, God is wise enough and powerful enough to work His purposes in your life. Does that make sense? I don't care what it is. He can handle your storm. He can handle the storm we just prayed for in the Philippines. It is working His purposes. It will accomplish His will. We can trust Him. Second thing I want you to think of is Jesus and His disciples in a storm, on a storm-tossed lake, and they wake up the Savior and they say, Don't you care that we're about to die? And I can show you that story is repeated in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And you know what it says he did? They woke him up and everyone, and I've never noticed this, he got up and he stood in that storm-tossed boat. And then he spoke and said, Hush, be silent. And when he did that, the disciples said, Who are you? Psalm 48, 148 tells us who he is. It tells us who Jesus is. He's Yahweh. And he speaks. And the storm is settled. He stands up. That's going to be important here in a minute. So let's keep moving. God is powerful enough. He is wise enough to handle now, who else is commanded to praise him? We've got to move beyond the creatures and come to the image bearers. Notice, every image bearer as the crown of creation, once again, listed in four groups, because four is the number of the earth, the four corners of the earth, and it reminds us that every human being on the planet even though it's the crown of creation, God's image bearers, they are to give praise to the Lord. Look at what it says. Verses 11 and 12. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children. You know what he's doing? He's covered every class, every age, every gender, Every authority on this earth is to praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. And what is the center of their praise? Well, look at verse 13. Let them praise what? You tell me. Let them praise the name of the Lord. It's the perfect time for perfect praise. To be let loose by all of earth, especially God's image bearers. But what are the causes? What are the causes for their earthly hallelujahs that also extend to the highest heavens? Well, the fame of his name is seen in three causes. So we get this in verses 12 and 13. Let's look at it. The fame of Yahweh's name is seeing, first of all, His name, His holy name alone, is exalted 
is exalted beyond anyone's reach. Look at what it says, verse 13. For his name alone is exalted. And this word for exalted means beyond reach. So when you're a parent, where do you put things you don't want your kids to get? You put them on the highest shelf beyond reach so they can't bring it down. Well, God's name is on the highest shelf, and it's on that shelf all by itself because no one is worthy to be that high and that exalted. Second of all, his regal splendor is above heaven and earth. Now, in the New American Standard, it says his glory is above earth and heaven. What does some of your translations say? Some of them say majesty. Anybody got majesty? Okay, Kim. Anybody got splendor in their translation? Denise, okay. Those words are telling you this isn't just glory. This is regal glory. His kingship. His glory. Think of Isaiah 6. Isaiah said his royal robe, his train filled the temple. God's royal splendor is above heaven and earth. And then finally, we come to this enigmatic, or let's just say something I can pronounce, mysterious phrase, verse 14. His raising up of the mighty horn for his covenant people. Now, when we see horn... You know, I think of an instrument. Don't you, Vicky? You think of a, a trumpet or something, a horn? Well, there you go. You're more biblical than me. I appreciate that. Yes, in their time, you would think of a ram's horn, a powerful animal. And the bigger the horn, the more powerful the animal. Horn in the Bible speaks of power and vict- military strength. But also in the Psalms, you begin to see that horn is used of the Messiah, of the victorious warrior Messiah. His raising up. Ding, 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 ding. What's that make you think? What's going on here? He's going to raise up. And this is like the word established. He made the heavens stand and they stay standing. He will raise up his mighty Messiah And he will stand victorious and no one will move him. Can I get an amen? Amen. This is the ultimate cause for praise. This is the center of our praise. A horn that is raised up, stands up in victory over his enemies for the deliverance of Yahweh's people. This is the beauty. We have scraped the Milky Way and beyond. We have toured all the animals in the highest of Everest. I saw one of my pastor friends flew uh, and and recorded Mount Everest through his airplane window. And I was just in awe. I'm into Mount Everest. I'm into that. He's bigger than that. We've done all that. And yet the focus is on his royal Messiah. So let's have three things to meditate on these realities. I want us to meditate on three realities. First of all, the praise of heaven and earth are connected. We've seen that. I hope you've seen it. But what happens on earth trigger praise in heaven? That's why it's praise him, praise him, praise him. Look down here. Highest heavens. Praise him, praise him, praise him. 
Look down here. And not just look down here. Look at him. Look at him. Look at the horn risen up. Look at the Messiah who stands in victory. Praise him. And look at this. The fame. Secondly, the fame of Yahweh's name is second to none because he rules high above heaven and earth. And then thirdly, the mighty king who Yahweh raises up is a divine human. Here's the idea. All this fame of Yahweh's name, the horn is lifted up to equal status. His name is above all names. So we, here's, here we do. You start tying together Psalm 2. You start tying together Philippians where he says, God highly exalted him and bestows on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Those in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Number four, the fourth thing we see is this. The people who benefit from this victory are Yahweh's loyal lovers, his loyal covenant people. Look again at verse 14. He has lifted up a horn for his people. That is Messiah. He is praise personified, praise for all his godly ones. Some of your Bibles say saints. Some of your Bibles will say uh, faithful ones. Some say faithful servants. Some say loyal followers. And guess what? They're all right. They're all correct. It's the word that comes from kesed, loving kindness. And it's embodied in the people who are loyal to God. God is loyal to his covenant people, and therefore his covenant people are loyal lovers of him. And they're called the Hazadim, the faithful ones. And notice how they're described in verse 14. And see if you are one of them. They are God's covenant people, his people. They are the king's subjects because the horn is raised up for them. The king is their praise personified. And we could say this side of the resurrection Jesus is praise incarnate. Praise for all his godly ones. And then fourthly, they are a people near to Yahweh because they are a people dear to Yahweh. All of heaven, all of the earth is coming down to this. There's coming a point where God's Messiah is raised up. And when he is, it's a perfect time for all of heaven to praise. Why? Because the purposes of creation are going to be fulfilled through him. But he is raised up, not just for creation. He is raised up for his covenant people, his loyal ones, his godly ones. You don't get to profess the name of Messiah and live any old way you want. If you have received his covenant love, you will become a covenant lover. If he is loyal to you, he will enable you to be loyal to him. And the loyal lovers of him let loose and they kick it up a notch. 
Bam! Praise Yahweh. But Chris, I'm in a storm. That's okay. He controls the storm. I'm hurting. That is painful. But he knows that hurt, for he is raised up from death. And he has conquered your hurt. He has felt your pain. He knows and he can stand in the chaos of your circumstances and his word speaks and his will be done. And so blessed be the name of the Lord, right? When he gives and when he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's been two points in history when it was time to kick it up a notch. And we as God's covenant people live between those two times. When when Yahweh raised his son, this verse applies. But he's exalted in heavens. But he's going to come again and he's going to stand on the earth with his kingdom. And when that happens, that's when we really kick it up a notch. But what do we do in between? If we are God's covenant people, we praise the fame of his name. And folks, that's what World Outreach is all about. It's about spreading the fame of his name before he comes. All right, I got it. Man, this is just so good. Next week, Psalm 149 is going to mention the loyal lovers, the covenant lovers, three times. It keeps building. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the riches of your word. I was just overwhelmed with the beauty of your word and the beauty of your king and the glories that were predicted in the old and are being fulfilled in the new. Lord, wherever anybody is in this class, let them know that we can praise the fame of his name through tears, through groaning, and with praise when it's too difficult to even express, for your Holy Spirit enables us to pray according to your will. I pray that we'll experience that this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, good stuff. I hope you're reading these songs. You will be blessed.